Good afternoon. Welcome to another episode of the podcast, And There You Go. I'm one of your hosts, I'm Chad, and with me is Addie. Good afternoon, Addie. Hi, Chad. How are you today? I'm doing okay. Doing okay. Yeah. Yep, yep. So let me uh, just pull back the music here, and we'll get uh, into our conversation here. I think today is going to be one of those days that we talk about some heavier stuff. Mm-hmm. You know, we talk about this podcast being about all things life, and so this is life. This is real life. This is stuff that's happening. Um, we talk about the vicissitudes, the ups and downs, and so this will be kind of in that trough area of the vicissitudes, you know? Oh, beautifully said. <laughs> <laughs> right? So, yeah. so, you know, with that, I'll, I'll maybe just kick it off by saying that Things have been a little bit heavy lately for you, especially, but for me as well. Yes. Um, but do you want to maybe kick things off and and uh, maybe talk a little bit about what that heaviness is for you? Well, I'll, I will try. You will try. Well, that's try. all we can do. <laughs> um, I've I've been having difficulty. I think with um, some situational depression, mm-hmm. anxiety. Uh, I'm completely exhausted from work often and feel like I work, I come home, I eat, we maybe watch something, and then I fall asleep. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that I've just had this anxiety and I've been... Uh, experiencing some PTSD mm-hmm. because no matter how much you work on it, and believe me, I have so worked on it, including EMDR. Um, but it just it never goes away all the way, and you can get triggered by a lot of things. Mm-hmm. And I think that the exhaustion that I'm feeling from work, along with quite a few other things has just left me feeling a little paralyzed. Right. Uh, you know, and I think I, you, you yeah. describe that, that daily cycle, that daily routine. Yeah. That's, and that's not living. That's not living. And when it, when it occurs over and over and over again, not for days, not for weeks, but for months, that monotony starts to wear you down. It's when you don't see a path out of it, you know, you just kind of sit and spin in that cycle. You do. Yeah. And yeah. so then things get heavier. Yeah. And I think we both have experienced that, that cycle. So. Well, we both have. And I mean, for me, many different times, because so many things have been situational for me, mm-hmm. but it's to the point now where... I need to think of it as a chronic thing because yeah. it's been so many situational things in my life for mm-hmm. so long mm-hmm. that it can be chronic. Yeah, absolutely. I have lived a lot of my life feeling like I need to be ready for the next bomb. Mm-hmm. The next bomb's coming and I've got to be ready for it. Yep. And I, I don't, that has not gone away from me all the way. I you as you have so nicely said, 
you know, Addie, you have a great personality. You're, you're funny. You're so fun and you're laughing all the time and you make me laugh and that kind of thing. But there, I don't know, maybe laughter can be a way to cope too. Yeah. And I think that sometimes I do that. It's a defense mechanism. A defense. Abs- absolutely. Thank you. That's, yes. that's exactly what I was trying to think. Uh, it is. It's a defense mechanism. And sometimes I do it when I probably should just allow myself to feel more. Um, just things that just get so heavy. Mm-hmm. Um on February 16th, I had to make the decision to let my dog, Ollie, go. Mm-hmm. And that was oh, heart-wrenching. Yeah. Yeah, because she wasn't just a pet. She was she was a person. Right. And, uh, you know, I had the pleasure of knowing Ollie for about a year and a half. Mm-hmm. And she was a sweetheart. And... She had these eyes, and she would sit there, and she'd just look at you, and you could feel her soul in, in her eyes. Mm-hmm. And it was like she knew. There was something about Ollie. Yeah. And you had her for how long? Seven years. Seven years. That's it. I should have had her for double that time. Yeah. And so it's so hard on me because of that. And I think that sometimes maybe because she witnessed me being abused and mistreated and we had to make several moves, Mm -hmm. I get very concerned that that had a lot to do with maybe her ending up sick the way that she was. And... uh, you know, she just went downhill so fast. And I and I did have another dog that did that. So I was watching it really carefully. Yeah. And I just knew that we got to a point that she was just going to maybe get better for a little bit, but then always get sick again, really sick. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't quality of life anymore for her. So I made the decision. I didn't even tell you. Well, to be honest, I kind of suspected that morning. Yeah. Just, yeah. But I couldn't let her suffer. No. No, and and, and she had been through, like you said... A lot with you so your attachment to her maybe maybe share about how you found Ollie in the first place how did what was that encounter like well um, I had lost my other dog Benny a while before that and was still in the midst of living with somebody who was abusing me very severely <laughs> And he is the one who said, oh, you need a dog. I'm sure that he didn't have the best intentions for me that way. I think that it was another way to maybe manipulate me. And and he being 
a significant other from the past. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, I just, I, he pushed me and pushed me, and finally I went to look. And Ollie and I, our eyes met, and that's all it took. She belonged to me, and I belonged to her. Mm -hmm. It was just so apparent. Yeah. And so I brought her home. And sadly, I mean, well, happily, she was there for me. I mean, she was a comfort for me. But how could I have been much comfort for her when we're hiding in walk-in closets underneath clothes? Right, right. So I think that, I think she was a happy dog. I really do. No, she was, when, yeah, she you know, was. Once we were away from that abuser, mm -hmm. but I think it probably... Um, caused some damage to her health, like it did to me. I yeah. ended up in Mayo. Yeah. I lost half my hair, you know, mm -hmm. <laughs> because all of these, all of these experiences with abuse uh, caused um, autoimmune issues in me. I have six autoimmune diseases. Mm-hmm. So how could it not affect a little puppy? Yeah, I think that's um, is pretty accurate. I think that they feel, and they pick up on things that you feel. Well, she was an empath like you and me. Mm -hmm. I mean, let's face it. I mean, you know that, right? Yeah, yeah. She was empathic. Oh, yeah. She could look right through you. She could. She felt everything you felt, and she knew exactly what to do for me. Mm -hmm. And to have to lose that, then yeah, it's another way before. Loss. Yeah, way before it really should have happened. Yeah. That's not the only heavy thing that's been going on for you as well. Well, like I said, work. Mm-hmm. Is been training me. Yeah. <laughs> I'm exhausted. Yeah. And I've I've actually taken some mental health days because I wake up and it's like there are bricks on top of my body. Mm -hmm. I can't, I just, I'm not functioning well. Yeah. Yeah, and I've experienced similar things in my past as well. I've had two bouts, at least two bouts, if not more, a very heavy, severe depression. Mm -hmm. And that's really what it feels like, is that you just you just don't want to move. No. It, well, I my body wants to get into this fetal position mm -hmm. because, I don't know, it affects my chest and my stomach the most. And so I just want to curl up because that helps a little. Mm -hmm. But nothing helps very much. So for me, you know, I remember back in college was one of my bouts of, of depression. Mm -hmm. 
and it was my sophomore year, and uh, I didn't realize it was happening. I didn't understand it. I certainly didn't think depression because there wasn't a lot of talk about depression, at no. least that I was aware of. No, uh, well, there was a stigma involved. Well, I, absolutely, there's a stigma involved with that. But there was back when we were in college, too. I yeah. mean, worse. Yeah. And I just remember, I, I don't know how much of the, the sophomore year I would get done with class. I, I barely remember doing any homework. I know I did because I passed all my classes. But I just remember going to bed at 6 o'clock at night, uh, sleeping as much as I can. Yeah. Just to avoid you know, and, and, and thank God I, I didn't drink at that time because I would have been probably become alcoholic, you know, if I would have done that. Do you think that. so? I don't know. I Honestly, I don't know. Because I think that from the sound of it, one or <laughs> there are situations that you had in your adult life that really contributed to that. Well, I would agree with that completely, yes. You know, the fact that I didn't think of alcohol in college tells me something there. Mm -hmm. And the fact that even the years after, until I was into my mid-30s, I was a, what we alcoholics normie. called a normie. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Which, ironically, if you think about the, the TV show Cheers, mm -hmm. one of the biggest uh, drinkers there, his name was Norm. yes. So, but you know the bartender was an alcoholic. Yes. Yeah. Yes, okay. Yes, absolutely. Uh huh. So I'm just wondering if if Norm was the representative normie, but he wasn't normal. Oh. <laughs> he he. I hadn't thought about the name like that. Yes. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah. No, I think it might be just a coincidence, but it's kind of fun to think about. Yeah, I don't know. It might not have been though. <laughs> I don't know. We might have to research that and and talk yeah. about that on a future podcast here. So this heaviness, what do you do about it? Well, I don't, I can't really 100% say because I think everybody has a different way of dealing with it. Mm -hmm. um, therapy helps me, but often when you get to the point that I've been in, you call a for help, and they say, well, we're booked two or three months out. Well, and, and that is a struggle <laughs> right now. It, it really, truly is an unfortunate struggle. Yeah. You know, you have people that need help today, mm -hmm. and they're being pushed out. And how not everybody can cope that long. No. Some people just need the help right now. Yeah. And I know that I have felt frustration sometimes. If I have called and they say, oh, we're booked two or three months out. And I said, well, I'm calling today because I don't know what it's going to be like two or three months from now. I, I need help right now. Yeah. And I understand that they can only do what they can do, but it's not enough societally. Well, and, you know, I have to wonder if demand isn't up these days, the COVID era days. Mm -hmm. because of COVID and all of the pressures that that's put on people. And obviously our lives are changing now, moving more towards normal. And some people are at normal. 
you know, in terms of life as they knew it before. So me, for example, I, I had to work. I, I, maybe I should say I had the pleasure of being able to work through the worst of COVID because of the type of work that I did at the time. Mm-hmm. You know, but other people were furloughed or laid up at home. Uh, I was still in the midst of recovering from an abusive relationship mm-hmm. and then became very sick because of it. So I was not working. Yeah. And so, you know, all of that stress and that strain on people probably increased the demand for services. So, yeah, it, it's unfortunate. But I think, you know, one of the, the important things is to, well, two things, I think, is to first recognize what's happening with you, not just you, Eddie, but that you, everybody, anybody, to be able to recognize the signs of depression or whatever that heaviness is, mm-hmm. and then be willing to seek out help. Even if that help is just talking to somebody else, you know, maybe it's not a clinician. Maybe it's a close friend. I mean, it's it's a hard thing to talk about. But it's, if you can find somebody safe to talk to, there's a deep comfort that people get. And I've seen this and I've experienced this myself, a deep comfort in being able to share what's going on inside of you mm-hmm. with somebody who gets it. Yeah. It doesn't fix things necessarily, but maybe it's like a pressure valve. Mm-hmm. You know, it takes a little bit of the pressure off. Unloading. Yeah. You feel you know. quite so alone in it. Right. Sometimes you gain perspective mm-hmm. too by some by different things that happen. I know that I did because uh, I did take a mental health day a while ago and it took everything in me to take a walk downtown. We live in a downtown area mm-hmm. that's very vibrant and and I decided, well, I'll just I'll take a walk and I'll go into some shops and I'll just try to not think about all of this heavy stuff for a while. And yeah, sometimes working to get out of your head a little bit mm-hmm. uh, can help relieve some of that pressure too. So that's another coping skill. So you went on the walk. And I did, but it has been my experience and my own um, that for some reason, when I try to take care of myself, something almost always happens so that I'm not mm-hmm. taking care of myself. I'm taking care of somebody else. That's yep. just how it's been for me. I kind of like a break, <laughs> well, frankly. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I, I think, you know, uh, a good portion of your life, I mean, you were a single mom. Mm-hmm. And so, of course, you're going to have people who have needs that you're going to put higher than yours that you need to at times. You know, your kids. Well, and without that's a no-brainer without question, me. exactly, exactly, right. you're going to do that. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I think it it can follow you. Yeah. Which it kind of did, from what I understand. Well, <laughs> yeah, I did go shopping downtown and. 
it was all right and I went to a couple shops and then I was in this variety shop for just a short while and stepped out to go home and right in front of me was a man having a very severe seizure. Um, There was a woman holding him. He was already down on the ground. Mm -hmm. Um, And later on, I found out she did know him. I don't know in what capacity, but it had just happened. I could tell. And I, I said, do you need me to call 911? And she said, yes. And so I did. It's amazing to me, too, how I can get into these situations my own or somebody else's, and I can remain so solid Mm -hmm. and so calm until maybe never. I mean, maybe it'll never come back, but sometimes I'll fall apart later, but rarely. So I made the phone call, and I had to stay on the line and and be sure to answer questions. There were some that I couldn't answer, so I had it on speaker. <laughs> <a> speaker phone. <laughs> I'm okay. having brain fog. That's okay. This is this is teamwork here. So <laughs> yeah. So I I held out the phone. I said I can't answer some of these questions. So the woman. Did, but then she grabbed my phone, but I should have kept it because she was shaking so badly that she shouldn't have been holding the phone and trying to hold on to him. And I have to say, on top of it, there was this man who was obviously homeless, transient. He had a blanket. It was cold out that day. He had one blanket. He rolled it up and put it under the man's head. Wow. Yeah. Little uh, little touch of humanity showing there. <sighs> Big. Yeah. So uh, I found out that the woman did know him, the m- man having the seizure, and it was, it was awful, and he had bitten his tongue, so there was blood. And, and finally... The ambulance and the whole 911 team did show up, and I I said, I placed the phone call. Do you need me to stay? And they said no. And they, they did have my name and number and everything, so I didn't want to be one of those people just hanging around. Right. They didn't right. really need that, yeah. you know, but it produced some PTSD for me, uh, which I probably that day didn't need. No, no, not with all the other heaviness that you've got going on. Right. Uh, My daughter had struggled with seizures, uh, and I was with her not for most of them because she was grown. But I was with her for a really bad one, and I was holding her in my arms and thought I was losing her. Mm-hmm. Trying to place the 911 call and hold on to her and make sure she's not choking while I'm talking to the people in 911 because I, I was alone with her. Mm-hmm. 
and then she's fine. We'll probably go into more depth later yeah. in that regard, but certainly the PTSD did not help no. <laughs> that day. No. But I felt good that I helped those people. Mm -hmm. And there must have been some sort of reason anybody could have walked out, but it was me. And it seems like that happens quite a bit. And I've witnessed that, actually. I mean, you and I both have been down on the same street mm -hmm. and uh, have had a couple of different encounters. Not that severe, but, you know, where we felt a need to step in uh, because nobody else seemed to be doing anything. And so we've done that. And like I said, I, I somehow, uh, I must be just part of my personality. I remain calm. Mm -hmm. I'm the calm in the storm, I, it seems, for any kind of an emergency that happens. And even with my daughter, yeah, she came out and said, I don't feel right. And I knew. I said, honey, you're going to have a seizure. And so I... I held on to her her waist and I said we're going to walk over here you're going to lay down and I'm going to put this under your head and then she started to have a seizure mm -hmm. and I was dying inside oh I can only imagine but I remained completely calm until I knew that she couldn't hear me yeah that's um a gift to be able to do that, to be able to keep your calm in chaos like that. Yeah. You know, I don't, I don't know if that's something innate with you or if it was something that was learned because you were a, a single parent and you, you had to be the one who kept the cool. Always. Regardless of where it came from, it's, you know, it's, uh, for those people on the street the other day, it was a blessing. Well, thanks. Absolutely. I I think it's innate. I think that I've always been like that. I was always a very quiet person. No, you you don't always think I'm so quiet. <laughs> I I know what you mean when you say you were a quiet person, but you've also got this other. I don't even have the adjective I know. to describe. I'm an observer. <laughs> what a wild child you are. So, uh, no, no, but you're I, not not like. No, but. I was very subdued as a child and growing up. Certainly, now I look back and I know I was an empath, and I've even actually had old classmates see things on Facebook about empaths, mm -hmm. and they'll they'll mention me by name. And talk about me as a, a young child in elementary school yeah. and knowing that I was, which blew me away. Yeah, my parents didn't even know if I was in the house or not. I was so quiet. I could be in the house all day and they wouldn't have known it. Mm -hmm. And I listened. I rarely spoke. So I observed a lot of things. And so maybe... Potentially, I was just aware that something was going to happen, and 
my body naturally prepared itself or my mind did Mm -hmm. for whatever was going to happen. Right. Because I have never lost it when, when something's happening. Now, was that with your daughter, was that the first seizure that you'd ever witnessed? No. No, it wasn't. Uh, I was at a family week for one person mm-hmm. who caused me great pain. He, he, was, he was an abuser. I was trying to be supportive. Uh, he, he was an alcoholic. And so this was a family week right. at the recovery center? Exactly. Okay. And all of a sudden, right before the speaker was going to come out, somebody said he's having a seizure, and I could see it. So I did witness it. But what I I just I assumed my calm position you know, mm-hmm. because I knew the people around me knew what they were doing. I could sure. tell. Yeah. Um, they were timing it. They were handling him the way that they should. Uh, it wasn't for me to do anything but to remain calm. Mm-hmm. So, yes. However, when you see your child in that situation and you're, you believe that it's likely not going to end well. The only reason that I remained calm was for her. Because if I would have lost it and she could hear me in any sort of way, I could have made it so much worse. Mm -hmm. Once I knew that she couldn't hear me, I was talking to the person, the dispatcher for 911, and I did start to cry. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I did lose it a little bit, <laughs> but I, I had to make sure that she was unconscious and wasn't going to hear it, and she was breathing. So, Yeah, that uh, I've, I've witnessed several seizures with some of the young kids that I've worked with. Yeah. And it's kind of a terrifying thing, you know, if you're, if you, if you don't know what's really going on, it's terrifying regardless. Uh, you want to make sure that the person is okay, but I w- would see some of the kids around them. And that was, a, that was a very scary thing for them to see too. So to, to be able to maintain that calm and just be and a matter of fact about how you do things and what you say and, and things That's like that. That's the key is to be very matter of fact. Yeah, very uh, neutral and, and uh, almost cold. I mean, it's not, not cold, but it's... it's. You're in decision-making mode. There you go. That, that's a really good way to put it. Yeah, and you can't make good decisions if you're losing it. Right. So in the and the only reason that I knew that my daughter was likely going to have a seizure is because she had had a few that I was not witness to. Okay, but you she, knew about. I knew about those. Sure. Because her boyfriend at the time called me. So I was at the hospital with her for those, and I could just tell I, something just I knew. Mm-hmm. 
the empathic in me, I guess. I don't know. Yeah. She's my child, so maybe I just knew because of that. Yeah. Yeah, so I don't know what really more to say except maybe I'm sharing this in the context of, of helping somebody else. Absolutely. Being, I've said it before, somebody else's survival guide mm-hmm. because I've been through a lot in my life. Everybody has been through a lot. But if you heard my, my whole story, you'd probably be shocked, just horrified by a lot of the things that have happened to me and my children. Well, and I've heard some, and every now and then I'll hear a little bit more, and it's like, are you kidding? There's more to this. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, you, you've been able to process it. You've been able to, I don't, I don't know that I want to use the word survivor, but, you know, that's, that's kind of the, the, you know, you are, but you've overcome so much of this. It's okay to call me a survivor. I know that that's what I am, but sometimes, and I think I, I maybe showed you this quote and I can't remember it verbatim, but it was like, I, I'm, I'm kind of sick of being called a survivor. I'm kind of sick of People cheering me on for taking one more hit, mm-hmm. one more hit, one more hit. You know how many? How many is it gonna take for you to finally crash all the way? That's how I feel. So, so maybe <laughs> we we start using a new word like uh, a triumpher. Yeah. I don't know if that's a, a word or not, but uh, it doesn't have. To it was be the only thing that in the dictionary. <laughs> no, well that's that's true, but it was the only thing that came to my mind, you know, so Addie, sweetheart, I hope this heaviness lightens for you. Thank you. And I think by sharing this, you know, if somebody's out there that hears this, know that you're not alone in this kind of thing. Seek help, even if it's just a friend to talk to. Yeah. Be aware of others around you that might be struggling too. And don't be afraid to say, hey, tell me what's going on. And then just listen. No judgment. No judgment. It's, it's, sometimes it's hard for some people to not judge or to try to give advice or... Don't try to fix, don't try to judge. Yeah, the fixing part, unless you have really experienced almost the exact same thing, you can't, pretend like you know yeah or f- or you can fix you you can't but to listen helps the most and sometimes yeah just sitting by somebody in silence mm-hmm. sometimes is the best gift that you can give them so yeah all right with that i think we'll uh call it a wrap <laughs> i think about the uh show that we had out in the alleyway the last summer in which, uh, uh, and that's a wrap. And that's a wrap. And God bless. And God bless. All right. <laughs> With that, we will say goodbye until next time.